This podcast is part of the Christian Geek Central Network at ChristianGeekCentral.com. Hello, and welcome to the Theology Gaming Podcast, or maybe Sessions, or maybe whatever. It depends on what the content of this podcast actually ends up being. With me today is one special guest, who is... My name is Ted Loring, and I'm from Africa! (laughs) Well, I'm glad you're singing along. (laughs) Actually, I'm not from Africa, but I just got back from Africa. (laughs) And Ted Loring is using an Xbox One to call me via video. And it is the most brilliantly clear picture I've ever seen. Microsoft, please give me some advertising money so I can help you out. (laughs) This is revolutionary. This is groundbreaking. This is a first-time occurrence where the Xbox One, at least with this podcast, is being used for the first time. (laughs) And I can see your German Shepherd, or one of your German Shepherds. The one laying on the floor? I can't see that one. Oh, there's one right over here. Oh, there we go. Yeah. So, yeah, startling clarity, high definition. Yes, this is what I needed to see. So far, it's working. I hated that we couldn't get Josh on because I was curious how the Xbox One would handle our conference call scenario. I wonder. Maybe it would crash. It's working pretty good with the two of us. Yeah, so far. So far is right. (laughs) Yeah, we'll see as technical problems beset us. Moving yeah. along with the conversation. Well, I've got to tell you, as far as the Xbox One goes, I've had my share of trials and tribulations with this. I actually had to send it in send it in for service two times, essentially, and got it back this time. And I made a few changes. One of them is I changed where I located it on the entertainment center, where it's now sitting on top of the entertainment center where there's plenty of air and circulation. Oh. Because heat was an issue for mine. And uh, so that seems to be better. I was also having synchronization issues where you'd be watching TV and the lips would get off from the audio. And, I mean, it was just very frustrating to do that, to watch it that way. Yeah, that can't be fun. That was awesome. (laughs) You sound like a beta tester almost. (laughs) I have felt like that. And it's I'll tell you why it's not fun. It's (laughs) because when you're in the living room, with your wife and with your mother-in-law and your father-in-law, and you just want to watch TV, you know, and you want to show, hey, this is this cool Xbox <laughs> One that I've got, how it it uh, will start not working and then not working. And then I would say things like, and I don't, I don't want to say the command because it might actually do it, but I would try <laughs> to tell it to, uh, to lower the volume or something like that, and it wouldn't listen so i would like be shouting at it you know <laughs> standing in the living room with my family shouting at the xbox getting angrier by the second can it be activated by me or only by you you can try it you can try saying a uh, xbox oh i almost i almost have a feeling i'm gonna shut it off by accident i just i, I just said it. xbox and it came up on the screen oh no, no stop no. listening it's sort of uh, like listening. Google Talk, except this one is malicious. <laughs> so I, yeah, so I could say, you know, I could tell it to go to another app, and your call will still be going on. Oh, I could okay. tell it to go back to this call, and you, you unless you hung up on me, <laughs> you could still be there. So it switches between uh, games, television, and apps pretty smoothly. So it's supposed to replicate a smartphone on a console that's what it's kind of sounds like to me 
Well, you know, their effort in the name is for it to be one device that is going to do everything from my DVDs to my Blu-rays to my television to my games. Yeah. And it's ambitious. It is. There's ambitious. a lot more that can go wrong than right, I think. Yeah, I wonder what the end game for that kind of thing is, though. Like, it's I such a know. strange device, if you think about it, just in terms of, like, console market. Why are we making this giant multimedia device? I think everybody kind of has one already. I'm not sure why they've embraced the television element of it, other than I think maybe that they've made some kind of financial agreement with the Time Warners and the Comcast and these major providers of television to say, hey, look, we will let your stuff work through our system and thus keep cable alive a little bit longer. (laughs) (laughs) As if it was me, I would totally embrace the Internet way of getting your entertainment content. Yeah, like an exclusive link with Netflix or Hulu or something or other. Right. And uh, instead, this is kind of embracing the old traditional way of television. And also, you know, it does all the other stuff with Netflix and Amazon Video and Hulu and and all of that. But it's just, uh, it's been a bit of a journey. And again, I bought, you know, the day one edition. A friend of mine got one. He's had no problems, no issues whatsoever. But I just was having these problems and like playing the game Rise, Son of Rome, the only Xbox disc game that I bought. But I would be playing the game, and all of a sudden, the game would just freeze. You're like, oh, I'm a Roman guy with my sword <laughs> up. And the picture would freeze, but you could hear that the game was still going on. All the audio, and I would like hit a button, and you could tell that there was action going on. But the video was just locked up. Huh. And- wow, that's weird. I mean, you know, I'm an excellent gamer. I'm pretty good, but I can't play it with a frozen screen. No, you can't play by audio cues alone. <laughs> Nor should you have to. Although I do have a friend whose daughter is uh, visually impaired or blind, and she was playing like, he, he made a video of her doing that SingStar game, whatever it is, I think on the Wii with a mm-hmm. microphone, and she couldn't see it, but she was singing along with a song, and the score is just like, it was like going through the roof. So he was relying on the audio cues on that one. So did you have problems not, with any of the other Xboxes or just this one? Other Xbox, like Xbox 360s in my life? Is yeah. that what you mean? Well, Microsoft consoles. Oh, yeah. Okay. I, know you're, I know what you mean now. Yeah. Because if I say Xbox and then Xbox One, they're basically like the, I hate the naming. It's so confusing. Oh, I do too. I do too. It's the most ridiculous thing to name the third in your series of Xbox is Xbox, Xbox One. Xbox One, even though the original is actually the Xbox One. I understand the concept that they're, you know, again, one device, but it's not been the best marketing, I think, that it could have been. If they had just called it the 720 or something like that, people probably would have been thrilled with that. Yeah. I remember when I got my 360, it worked for approximately one year to the day and then i got the red ring happy warranty yeah man what the heck (laughs) so i have had i've owned two xbox 360s in my life they're both the older style and i've never had the red ring issue so i assume they were built sometime after that yeah people when people online are looking at different processors and chipboards to determine whether or not their xbox is going to fail (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, <laughs> then you might have a problem with your product. Yeah, there was definitely something that was a definite issue. But I felt like they did a decent job of supporting 
Yeah, they did, did as well. I mean, I'll I just tell you what Microsoft did for me. They they gave me two extra free months of of Microsoft uh, Live. They're mm-hmm. not Microsoft Live, uh, Xbox Live, uh, and they gave me a free game. So they gave me a, a thing to download. Uh, I think I chose Forza Five was one oh, of my wow. options. Nice. I mean, I think that's you know being good. I mean, obviously, I had my problems. I did. I never paid for any shipping or any of the repair costs or anything like that. Yeah, they're so, nice about that because that's what happened to mine. I've had the Xbox that broke since two thousand eight and hasn't died yet. So, oh, okay. So once they repaired it, it was all good. <laughs> I don't know why. Oh. My only complaint would be with speed. Speed was not on their... <laughs> <laughs> no. It's not important to them. <laughs> but, um, Whenever. Yeah. I was like, uh, guys, I'd really like to play this thing. And uh, they're like, well, it takes a little time to work it through. I think we're really here to talk about Africa. The real subject. That's right. And more specifically, Senegal. And right more here... specifically... Yeah. Right here is where I'm going to put the song. Okay. And then we'll see how it goes from there. Maybe I'll just put it on loop. <laughs> the whole time. Yeah, just the whole time. Just playing the Africa song that makes no sense. I'm alive and I'm sick of Toto after listening to this podcast. Gonna take a lot to get me away from you. Toto was an 80s super group. <laughs> how long ago was that? Goodness. That was, it was definitely in the 80s and they were a bunch of studio musicians, I think. So they were all very talented, but... They just got together and made that record, or records like that, and did well. They did well for themselves. Huh. Wow. What a weird thing. So, yes, Senegal is in Africa. It is. So I can now say officially, you know, I've been a missionary to Africa. It's actually, that was my third trip, but that's one of those things where you can check it off your list, you know. Uh, mission trip to Africa? Check. <laughs> you know that... You can find a mission field right outside your own back door, too. So, doesn't I, mean you have to go. I've not been to the other hemisphere, so I don't know <laughs> anything about that. I know about other areas, but not there. Isn't it interesting that they call it a mission trip? I mean, it sounds very military almost, doesn't it? Yeah, well, you know, missionary, that kind of thing. Yeah, missionary, and you know, the mission trips or the missionary journeys of Paul in the book of acts i mean why are they called that huh i wonder if any part of the bible actually uses the word mission i don't know we should know that between the two of us i mean i learned from watching your youtube videos that the upside down cross was not originally a a negative thing Mm. that was good i I, and i i had remember i had to re-remember that does that make sense re-remember remember again after you forget Yes. Which is it's called like, re-remembering. Like, oh yeah, Peter. Peter requested to be crucified upside down because he didn't want to die in the same way that his Lord did. Yeah, so they use an upside down cross to signify about Peter, which is very strange. But as far as I can tell, the word missions isn't actually used directly in the Bible in any way. Okay. But the concept is obviously supported by like Great Commission right. and that sort of thing. Certainly, yes. The Great Commission would be in there. And, uh, you know, Christians do like to use certain words that aren't anywhere in Scripture, including uh, Trinity and Rapture is another word that's nowhere in Scripture as well. So, uh, But the concepts seem to be there. 
So please, tell us about your missions trip. Yes. So this was a week-long trip. Again, I'm mentioning that it was my third journey there. So this was a a mission trip that was based on relationship. My church, Forest Hill Church, sponsored this village called Jaman. We were requested to become involved with the church, so they sent some people back in 2008 to meet with the uh, the chiefs in the village, and there was, at that time, a, a single Christian there. They called the first Christian in the village a man of peace. So for the mission agency to work with a village, there has to be at least one man of peace there. So his name, I, I'm actually not supposed to use his name because there's some uh, persecution potential, because it's a largely Islamic and animistic society rather than Christian. But when they met, even with the, uh, the Muslim leaders of the village, they said, what can we do as we start to try to have a relationship together? And they said that their village was dying, that they didn't have water. They had to go about five miles to go where the well was to get water. So they, they needed a well. Um, their people were sick a lot, and they were interested in having medical care. There was also uh, no church building for the Christians because there were, of course, not not really Christians there yet. But that was something that they would wanted to have was a, a building where they could actually meet and, and identify. So through a series of, of many trips, one of the ones I went on back in 2010, I believe, was an actual medical trip. And I'm not a medical person, but I went along on this one and just did what I could to to help. I was just kind of a willing person. And so that was kind of neat to see. Uh, also, while I was there on that first trip was the day that they turned the water on on a new well that uh, that they that was dug. And again, I'm not saying our church did all of that sponsorship, but they were part of that, that sponsorship. Hmm. And it's important, too, that it's like a partnership where we're not just like the great Western white Christian Santa Claus coming in. <laughs> giving you know here's stuff to you thank us thank us it again is relationship and partnership so they were doing the work they were in very much involved with changing their village so medical stuff was starting to happen water was starting to flow so it was neat to go back this third trip a, a village that has been affected let's see 2008 so about six years now of uh, of involvement with um the message of the gospel and, and Christ. And so this village now does have water and it's got like this network of pipes going out from the central well to all these places. The villages are pretty big, by the way. I don't know if you know that. I mean, you might think a village and you think, you know, a little walled area that's got yeah. six huts in it. I don't know, that like was... size wise, like population. <laughs> what a, What is a village? <laughs> There's about 2000 people in this in this village. No, oh, okay. And they live in compounds, which is sort of a walled in area that has maybe five or six huts, depending on however many they need. A compound, in a sense, is sort of like a house, if you could imagine. And the huts within the compound, those would be like the bedrooms. So the open spaces between the huts is kind of like your living room. Your kitchen, you know, that that's where you sort of oh, okay. do your your living is outside the hut. You only go inside your hut there for bedtime or, or whatever. So that's 
scattered about this this village are these compounds that people live in, and if, and if one village can be separated from another, maybe twenty miles, you know, distance and that kind of thing. Mm. It's neat. I have a GPS watch, so I turned it on just for a little bit so that I can look at the village from the map, from Google Maps. And you can actually see, like, the individual huts from satellite view. <laughs> wow. <laughs> kind of neat. Uh, the, the environment that they're in is an arid, desert-like environment. There's a rainy season, but it's relatively short. During that time, everything becomes tremendously green. And then it goes back to being really sandy for the rest of the time, except for certain trees and things like that that have extremely deep roots. They have a tree called the Baobab tree. It is sort of the national symbol of uh, Senegal, and they're they're throughout Africa. They're not a very pretty tree. And according to the... Is that the tree that looks like it's roots coming out of the ground? Exactly right. And the story behind that is uh, the original Baobab, when it was first made was a very beautiful tree, and it was very vain. So God picked it up and turned it upside down so that its roots were sticking up out of the ground and it would no longer be so vain. Yeah, it's a weird-looking tree. It is. It's actually made up of a a lot of reeds. It's more in the reed family than a tree family. So those are there, though. That's part of it. And that's a big part of where they get some of their, their wood... They sort of cut off strips from the trunk, and then it grows back, and they cut off more strips. And so you'll see throughout it, as you see these trees, so they're sort of skinnier near the base where they've taken some strips off. But that's sort of the environment. And how about wildlife? Would you like, would you like to know the awesome wildlife that I saw? Did anything attack you? Africa. <laughs> I did not. I don't see any of that stuff that people talk about that would be cool to see, like oh. hippopotamus or crocodiles or lions or zebras. I think that's kind of a good thing because those things are all dangerous and want to kill you. <laughs> that's true. I, I never thought about it. Since I was staying in a tent, that would not have been fun to hear a lion roaring or something. Yeah, it's like, hey. Uh, and then Ted would say, hello, lion. <laughs> <laughs> Aslan. Roar, chomp, chomp. No, no, you're like Jesus in the book. <laughs> Don't Jesus bite. wouldn't eat me. Jesus wouldn't bite me either. <laughs> Don't Stop gnawing on me like I'm delicious. <laughs> so what do I see there, though? I, you see a lot of domesticated animals. So you, lot, you see a lot of goats, a lot of goats. You see cows and chickens and... Cows, too? Some, Cows are native yeah, to Africa? Yeah, they have big horns, too, big big long horns like the kind you see might see in texas or whatever oh yeah 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 I, what they're a little skinnier but they have huge horns yeah they yeah. really do what, i can't and remember what they're called they I look more either. like bulls than they do like cows yeah they look more like bulls that's Aren't a good they like way to brown? say it. they're brown yeah they were different colors but mainly mainly brownish stuff um, I did see camels for the first time, but I was told that was just because there's a, there's a certain tribe of people that are like herders, like nomadic, like Abraham, you know, oh. where um, they, they'll they be in the area for a while with goats and stuff, and they do trading with other peoples, and then they go on to other areas. So it's a real touch with ancient culture in a sense. I saw uh, lizards. I never saw any snakes. I saw a huge snake skin in the market. It was like a 10-foot-long python skin. 
It looked like it could have wrapped itself around me and had me for lunch as well if it had been alive. And uh, the guy was like, oh, you will like it in your house. He, he was talking to one of the ladies in our team trying to convince her to buy it. She says, your friends will be scared about it at first, but they'll get used to it. The only thing I can think of is I can see myself trying to get that skin through customs. <laughs> I don't think that would have made it. No. People said that those, you know, the snakes are there and they're everywhere, but I sure didn't see any. And yeah. A well, trip before I saw a scorpion, but I didn't see any scorpions this time. Well, Africa has a lot of dangerous animals, so. <laughs> it does. It really does. There's you know, a thousand ways to die or whatever that TV series was. They could probably do Africa edition. <laughs> Just by itself. Of course, disease and sickness and stuff is probably going to be one of the number one ways for sure. Yeah. So, um. For those who don't know, Ted was in an area which is more near the coast. That is than, right. And kind of the more traditional depictions of Africa. So there might be differences. I don't know. Since yeah, I definitely, well, I landed in Dakar, which is on the coast. And that is a, a very beautiful coastal area with the water is pretty, really pretty. And I did go inland about, I'm, I'm guessing about three hours worth of driving total. From there, at three hours here in America, that would be, you know, 200 miles. Now, there is probably less than that because it takes a little longer to get places. But um, so anyway, as you go in, it definitely gets less tropical. Even actually, tropical is not a word I would even describe where it is on the coast. It's pretty much like desert meets ocean. (laughs) (laughs) Desert meets ocean. Uh, to the north of Senegal would be the Sahara Desert, so that's kind of where it's located. But to the south is uh, the Gambian River and Gambia, so that's a very you know fertile green area. So it just depends. It's just like it, I think the entire country is about the size of Nebraska. I heard, so that gives you an idea of how big it is, maybe to get around. For those of you who are listening who have been to Nebraska, which I have, <laughs> I have you. Okay, well. About as big as Senegal. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I might have been to Nebraska. I've been to Omaha, Nebraska, and uh, one other place in Does Nebraska. Amtrak go through Nebraska? I'm sure it does. It's America's railway. If it does, then I think I might have been in Nebraska. <laughs> All right. At least for a moment or a couple hours. So you can, so you can certainly relate to my uh, example. That's great. Yeah, in a way. <laughs> you know you know what games I played on my journey? Video games? None? None. Zero. <laughs> not even I, on a smartphone? Wanted, not even on my spark, smartphone. Smartphone. I really wanted to play on the two nights before I left, more Dark Souls, which we talked about on a, on a, a, a cast that might be coming out. Yeah. Old to soul talk here. But um, I never just could get a chance to sit down. I've learned, you know, Dark Souls isn't your casual pick-up-and-play thing. You have to be in the right mindset. Yeah. Of, I'm going to be – you got to be feeling patient. I, when so, you don't play patient, you end up like me. <laughs> you start over and over and over again, yeah. which still isn't necessarily bad. I'm, I'm, I'm going, going off track here a little bit, but I think you mentioned there's an element in those games where you're sort of non-human and you can get your humanity back. But you mentioned in one of your YouTube videos that you really just can't think in terms of that, like that being real important. Yeah, just, don't. <laughs> just play the game, and whether you are human or not human, it, it doesn't matter. At yeah. least maybe it does matter, but it doesn't 
doesn't matter to me, I can tell you that. <laughs> so I really wanted to play that, but time just did not allow it as I was packing and getting ready and doing all that stuff. But I was thinking about it a lot. You'll get there. You'll get there. <laughs> and the only other exposure to games was on the flight out. They had touchscreen games on the back of the uh, on the screen in front of you on, on the airplane. So huh. for eight, seven hours, I could have played Sudoku or Tetris or Solitaire. <laughs> <laughs> seven hours of Tetris wouldn't be half bad. <laughs> <laughs> but I just wasn't in the mood. I was just trying to kind of gear myself up. So I didn't play any games during the whole time that I was focused on the mission. But as soon as we were done with the final village visit, we were on the uh, the bus driving through the sand, sandy roads. I got out my phone and I started playing some Candy Crush. So <laughs> <laughs> like I'm done. I'm starting to, to get back into being American again here. Yeah, you imperialist. Why would you play Candy Crush inside of Senegal? <laughs> <laughs> That game, I just it's one of those pick up and play, play games, and I never, I one time, I can't say I never because I did, one time gave ninety nine cents to keep playing Candy. <sighs> I felt just like dirty. I don't know. I felt <laughs> awful. I felt like I was giving them exactly what they wanted, and all it gave me was like couple extra lives or something like that to try to beat one level and then it was gone i was back in the same situation i was <laughs> play I was to like, win that's capitalism to the extreme yeah, you're just, paying to win basically yes well not anymore because <laughs> why can't they just say look 5.99 you can own the game all the levels no they don't do that that's not an option it's, oh, would you like to keep playing? Would you like a little bit more crack cocaine? Please. <laughs> I've got some here, but it will cost you 99 cents. This tiny bag. That's why it's called Candy Crush, I think. It's because it's like, it's like drugs that people are crushing and then sniffing or something. <laughs> so. Anyway, saga. so I played that, a little bit of that. Uh, Snort liberally, then, then pay more. <laughs> <laughs> so some of the things that we did on this mission trip, uh, we had a, a goal, again, of it being a relational trip, which means there wasn't a real specific physical function for us to be there. We weren't building something. We weren't uh, doing medical care. So we were going to spend a day or two in the village of Juman uh, doing storytelling, which I love to tell stories. I mean, really, that's kind of what we do when we're podcasting. Yeah. And I was assigned a couple of... Uh, stories about Abraham. We were focusing on some Genesis stories. That was what they had requested. So when we got there, the, the women in, in our group met with the women from the village, the Christians in the village, to do their storytelling with a focus on the creation story, the story of Noah, and then some of the early stories of, of Abraham. And they were doing the same thing the men were doing the same thing with the men of the village and then later on with the youth of the village, which that was a real highlight. So ironically, though, so I've been planning on this trip, you know, six months. I've been studying up on Abraham. I've even been reading the Koran because I want to see what the Koran has to say about Abraham and 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 Noah and, and Adam and all of these, these stories because they're in there. Um, the morning arrives where I'm going to be a blessing to the world and give them these wonderful stories and truths. 
and I can barely get up. I mean, my stomach is like twisted in a knot. I just feel so sick. And I crawl out of the tent, and they're going to have breakfast down in the uh, compound. We were staying a little bit outside of the compound, a little cluster of tents. Yeah. I tried to eat half a piece of bread and couldn't. I mean, I, I didn't throw up, but I just felt terrible. So I go mm-hmm. back to the tent to lay down, and I fall asleep for a couple hours. I wake up maybe about 11 o'clock or so in the morning local time, and by that point, the sun has really started to cook. <laughs> so I was just sweating. It's so hot in that tent, and I felt awful. I was like, God, this was the day that I was supposed to be doing something for you. You know, why am I sick today of all days? <laughs> And from there, I got up and I tried to kind of mentally power myself together. You know, the power of positive thinking. You know, I'm not really sick. And so I I went into the building where they were working with uh, the men and the storytelling. And I sat there for about an hour. And I was like, oh, I got to lay down again. And I didn't want to go out in the heat. So they made a little cot for me in the corner of that church where I lay down and basically just kind of went in and out of consciousness for the rest of the day. I mean, I would talk to people, but I just, I had never felt so alone and a little bit scared because I'm thinking if there's something really wrong with me, I'm a two hour drive to the nearest small town and it will be one bumpy ride. I was like, God, please help me. And they were, they were praying for me. I I took some Cipro, which is supposed to help fight um, stomach infection. And um, I was drinking water like crazy and all of that stuff. But that night, I heard the people talking about me in the group, the leaders of the group, as well as the leaders of the the missionary agency. And they were saying, you know, we're going to have to see how he is in the morning, but he might have to go go to the hospital tomorrow morning. I was like, oh, I don't want to do that. Number one, I don't want to go to a a third world country hospital. Um, But also... For me to do that, that would mean one of the leaders would have to come with me. You know, it would be separating the group a little bit, uh, keeping the mission from happening. But I got up the next morning and I felt better. I really did. I wasn't 100 percent, but I was definitely functional. So all of my worries were not a problem after that. Wow. So we were in that village of Jaman that next morning and we were doing sort of a, a devotion time with the with the Christians in the village and. I said, you know, I was really sick yesterday, and I'm really thankful for your prayers. But I heard that the youth did a great job yesterday with telling their story about uh, Abraham. And I was wondering if you guys could do the story again for me. And it was kind of neat because the leader of the youth said in his language of Sarir, well, we were planning on doing it anyway. So they were so motivated and excited about the stories and stuff because we weren't going just to tell them the story, but to help to teach them how to pass on stories. Yeah. They were very excited about it. So we took a little break, and then the youth did their story of Abraham, where they they acted it out. They made a sketch. It was almost like being in a youth group back in the States. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so they had somebody that was dressed up in a costume like Abraham, sleeping in a bed, and then another person that was the voice of God calling Abraham to, to get up and to leave the land that he was in. So, like, this teenager, he gets up and he stretches, like, oh, wow, that was an amazing dream. And he gets up 
and he grabs a suitcase and hands it to one of the two girls in the youth group that are like the women, like you're doing the heavy work. And then they start walking with the women lugging the, the suitcase behind. I was like, wow, this culture really can relate to the time of Abraham. Um, <laughs> oh, my. And then the next, the next part of their story was God meeting with Abraham and, and talking about how he's going to have descendants as numerous as the stars. So the God person is walks with Abraham to the window in the church and he pushes open the shutter and you can just tell that he's talking in surreal saying, you know, you're going to have descendants as many as the stars. Like it was kind of cool. Like God and Abraham looking out a window at the stars. Uh, I don't think that may be exactly how it happened scripturally, but it was neat that they were really were understanding and relating to this story. In sort of an oral tradition kind of way. Yeah, oh yeah, definitely. Reinterpreting uh, scripture in light of their own cultural experience. I just remembered something, too. (laughs) I mean, because we're we're taking it from, like, you know, we're like white Christians who live in the United States. That's how we usually look at it, right? More analytically. But they're taking it more in terms of the storytelling aspect. They definitely do. And this is, again, um, a culture where, for example, I was visiting one of the compounds, and the, uh, the, the main male in that co- compound had passed away and left his two wives as widows. So, I mean, it's just, it's a different world. Two wives, it's like, just bizarre I, from our perspective. Yeah, well, I mean, all I can tell you this in terms of that in Scripture, anytime in Scripture where there seems to be more than wife in the scenario, there's always problems. <laughs> <laughs> Not one of them is, is a satisfactory scenario for all parties involved. So, but uh, again, a, a patristic society, a patriarchal society is probably a better way to say it. It's one yeah. where, uh, you know, you needed to carry on your name. So you had to have lots of children. So I'm feeling better the next morning. And I asked the, the, the local pastor there if I can look at his Bible, which is in the language of Sarir, Right. And I'm going to try to be real spiritual and communicate with him. And so I found where Proverbs was in his his Bible. And I meant to read to him in his language, Proverbs 3, 5, which is trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. But I guess my brain was a little bit muddled. So in Sarir, I turned to Proverbs 3, 15, which says she is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. I said that to him in his own language somewhat. He knew what I was talking about. But somehow or another, I ended up getting married. So now I have two wives. I don't know what he was thinking. Why is this guy reading to me? She's more precious than rubies. Is he wanting to marry one of my daughters? I mean, <laughs> is he proposing to me? Exactly. Oh, I learned a lesson there is uh, make sure that you're always spiritually in tune with the culture and remember where the Bible verses are. So you don't make mistakes like that. <laughs> remember where the Bible verses are. Yeah. So, okay. uh, so, anyway, so, so actually I have a question uh, yeah. in the videos that you were, you've recorded, uh-huh. there was some French spoken and I'm wondering, okay, so I'm guessing Senegal was originally a French colony and that they were definitely settled uh, or dominated by the French. And then, uh, so they have two languages, or is it like each village has a different language? In that, that's like, an excellent the question. French, the French kind of outpours from the you know capital and other areas. I don't know. Yeah, so. uh, the official national language would be French. Okay. So 
If you speak French, you can almost get along almost anywhere. But as you go out to these villages, it becomes more separated or, or tribal in the language. And there's Sarir, which is where the language of the place where I was. But there's also a language called Wolof that the huh. people speak. And there's also a language, Pular. And there may be more than that. So, so do you speak French? No, but I took two years of French in high school, and some of it actually, you know, comes back. Some of so, it. <laughs> right. So, for example, I have a namesake there, a, a young man that I've, you know, been able to visit several times. He's a teenager. And sometimes my French I can use as just key words to kind of so he knows what I'm talking about. Like if I'm showing him pictures of my house, my family, I'll say, you know, like um, uh, Maison, his house, you know, this is my house, Mom Maison. So, and he would nod his head. So he he does go to school, so he knows some French as well as uh, Sarir. So, and it's really interesting because as you go out to the village, like I made a mistake saying hello and Wolof to them, and that was like, no, you know. <laughs> You don't say Nangadef, you say Nafio. You know, they were like really. <laughs> but they, all that said, they're very gracious. They they really appreciate that we're there and we're trying to learn their language and all that stuff. So it's uh, it's just interesting how language is such a part. And these translators, some of them know six or seven languages because they have to. That is a lot. So English, French, Sarir, Wolof, Pilar, uh, Spanish, Esperanto. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> is that a real language? Yes, it is. It was Klingon. designed. I think one of them might know Klingon. Yeah, <laughs> Esperanto was designed to be the world language, so that it was because it's easy for every other culture to learn because it's not based off of either like Germanic languages like English and stuff or Romance languages. So everybody can kind of learn it, but never really caught on. <laughs> Apparently, because I never heard of it. Yeah, it's like a manufactured language. So it's like not natural. Like Ebonics or something? I don't know. That's more so. like the w dialect or the way that certain people speak. Yeah, that was not <laughs> an accurate example on my part. <laughs> no. Uh, I, I was amazed, too, that, that technology is getting f further and further reaching in the world. There are many cell phones, even in the most remote situations. I mean, they were getting cell phone coverages, taking calls. I mean, we were having uh, meetings or discussions, and you hear like, doo -doo 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 you know, somebody needs <laughs> to talk on his phone. Um, I saw advertisements, especially in the city, about you know social networking and Facebook on your phone and stuff like that. Huh. That's why I have to be careful with names and stuff like that. Oh yeah, yeah, I can see. Because in the past, I would be like, I went here, and this is the person, the Christian person that I have here around my <laughs> my arm around in this photograph. So I have to be a little more careful now, they, they asked. Um, not that I'm aware of any persecution that has happened, uh, other than a story of a, of a missionary that uh, was imprisoned for proselytizing uh, youth. Um, they, were, they were helping some street people. They were Brazilian missionaries, and... Um, they have a lot of boys in the city that just are growing up in the streets, and they actually have to beg, but they beg to give money to the local um, mosque. They're sort of like the mosque gives them some food and shelter, but they have to beg. Huh. Local, I think the word is iman or whatever, but they're sort of like a lo local Muslim leader that's like a spiritual leader. 
it's kind of like the mafia in a sense, though. It's kind of a racket kind of a deal. It's more of a power thing than a spiritual thing. Uh, but um, So they, I think, preached the gospel to a youth who became a Christian, and that actually ended up with them getting arrested for it. This, this was a, a couple years ago. Huh. So this... So Senegal is a, it's not necessarily freedom of religion, but it's kind of in this strange in-between space where it's like Yes, a, definitely. Yeah, like uh, the majority well, kind of rules. <laughs> yeah, and the majority is certainly Islam. I mean, that is where it is. But what uh, what you will find is the cultures, they, they sort of accept Islam, but underneath the table they keep all of their animism stuff, all of their spiritism is, you know, there's spirits in trees and in, hmm. in uh, various things. So they have this, like, hybrid thing going on. And that's one of the key things, too, that when you start talking about, about Christ and Christianity, is you do have to make that distinction that he is, he's not an addition to your current worldview. I mean, he rocks your worldview. He changes your worldview. And he becomes Lord. Huh. He is more powerful than the witch doctor. He's more powerful than, than anybody. I think they call it what's okay. So the way that they do things is what I would call syncretism. Exactly. Yeah. yeah so syncretism is kind of the fusion of different religious traditions in just kind of like picking pieces of it and saying like, oh, this best is like Christian. Yeah. Well, well, not necessarily the best parts. Right. That's true. But and that's very common. Probably globally, it's common here in our country. I mean, yeah. you see the you ever, you ever see those coexist bumper stickers? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think that's syncretism in its finest. You know, they're all the same. We're just going to you know keep the the highlights of all of them. Yeah, it's a little more freeform in um, Africa, Asia, those kind of areas because the way that they're grown up, they're not like well, they're not so much about mutual exclusivity of a belief system. So, like, right. whereas you and me, we go, well, Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior and the only way to salvation, right? I mean, that's pretty much Western Christianity in a nutshell. Whereas they're like, well, Jesus is cool, but so is this. <laughs> so yeah, are animal yeah. spirits. And, or, to them, or, and of course, and then I might say, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I might say to, as a, as a sincere Christian, you need to say that Jesus is Lord. All right, Jesus is Lord. You know, you're, they're going to give me what I want to hear. Because they don't want to offend me, and, but I haven't. They, they haven't really changed necessarily. I mean, that's the worst case scenario that you could ever have. I think where you're not being effective. Yeah, it's but, a strange scenario too. Yeah, but you will see uh, even even then people who are, are Christian, but they'll still have around their children like these little trinkets made from bottle caps, like a little waist bracelet thing around the waist or whatever that helps to ward off uh, spirits and stuff. So. One of the so how do you ma- of, how do you make that transition from one to the other? From one to the other, and never well, I don't think it's something that uh, a visitor can really do. I think yeah. it's it takes uh, local Christians who have really grasped what it means to follow Christ to to really be able to share with uh, with the others. And for example, one of the pastors that I was talking to, a key moment for him as a Christian was. Uh, the people in his compound during the rainy season in the morning, they would get the the rain that had gathered like from their tarp and into a bucket. And they had to do like a ceremonial wash to protect themselves from evil spirits for that day. Huh. And uh, one morning he just said, I can't do it anymore, Lord. I can't do it. 
And when it came time for him to go wash in the bucket, he refused to do it. And his mother was, number one, shocked. But she was also terrified for his life because she believed that he was putting his life at risk by refusing to do that because he was going to be affected by these evil spirits. So she actually, you know, cried and was, was really upset that he chose not to do it. And later on, as he related the story, uh, they, there was a, a epidemic of yellow fever and many of the people in his compound got sick with yellow fever, but he didn't. And when his mother saw that everyone else was sick, but he was well, that actually opened the door to her mind to uh, Christianity. I don't know if she chose to follow Christ or not, but it was something that she saw as a as a practical evidence in her mind. Again, not that we need evidence. We've talked about that before. Yeah. <laughs> but she saw that as a sign that, uh, number one, what he believed wasn't putting him in danger and actually might be more powerful than the animistic gods that they were afraid of. Yeah. I imagine the way Christ speaks to different cultures is always going to be just slightly different and adapted to their context so that it makes sense rather than not. You know how, like, missionaries were going, we're going to reach every unreached people. Yeah, well, (laughs) but you have to kind of make sense in terms of their mindset, which is not going to be Western rationalistic philosophical ideas. (laughs) It's a a different world. Uh, Although many of them are pretty adaptable to that, but that's not what you want. I don't think that's why Christ came to make everybody Western civilization (laughs) followers. Uh, He came to uh, seek the the least and the lost. And that's, (laughs) and to, to have a relationship with him. And that's, that beats every culture down. And of course we think about here uh, in the United States, our, our version of Christianity, we don't have any claim to it. It's it's a came from the Middle East area originally. I yeah. Mean, <laughs> not like it started in New York or something. <laughs> Ours is significantly Jerusalem. different from what it used to look like. Yes. I mean, they exactly. were initially worshiping in synagogues, right? Right, right. So you take... You know, you do. I think that's why the Book of Acts is so helpful, as well as the uh, the epistles, because it gives a pretty accurate picture of what the early church was like, with uh, people meeting in homes, people dealing with with persecution on on some levels, uh, just so different from what we see as as Christianity today, for sure. And you, you feel like you're an Acts a little bit when you're in this village that has that used to have two Christians. And now has there's a church building and there's like 25 people in there. You know, it's growing. Huh. Well, one other thing I wanted to touch on was I went to visit a different village called Ngaskap. This is a village that um, we had reached out to. This village and we meet with uh, the men of the village. The women go off to play with the children and the, and the women. I mean, it's really very segregated. Um, so uh, we're laying on these mats, sitting on these mats on the ground and... Uh, through the translators and say, you know, we are interested. We know we started to have a bit of a relationship a few years ago, and uh, we just want to kind of follow up on that and let you know that we're interested in, in doing that. And we, and it was kind of a town hall situation where people could speak if they wanted to speak. And it was really interesting to me how they said this. They said, our village is dying. 
they said that uh, the water is bad. They have bad water, and it's it's kind of a salty, alkaline water that doesn't the crops don't grow well, and it's not good for them to drink. But they don't have any choice because there's bad water. The young men in the village they actually have to leave the village to go live in the city to make a living. So they can only be in the village during the rainy season. Huh. So uh, it's just interesting how I would just was coming from a village where there was Jesus there, and they said, you know, we've got water now. We've got, um, they, they said that cholera has all but disappeared at their village. And um, it was just a real contrast to see this village that had Jesus compared to the one I was in now that didn't have a real presence of Christ. There was a Christian there, but um, they're just, I was like, well, where is the other religion, you know, the main, the main competitor with Christianity in this situation? What is Islam doing to help this village? And none. <laughs> and um, but they were a little bit angry at the uh, fact that we had disappeared, essentially, in their eyes. We had visited one time, taken some pictures and promised to communicate and then didn't. Now, I'm here for the first time, so I'm guilty of nothing. <laughs> but but it doesn't matter. I'm sort of a representative, right, of, yeah. of the church. So. They actually pull out pictures and say, where is this person that had his, he was, we exchanged names, you know, and said, I'm going to be you, you're going to be me, just like I did with my namesake in the other village. You know, why haven't I heard anything from this person? Some of the people we knew, some of the people we didn't, but it was, it's just really interesting how much they remembered it, how important it was to them. And we're Americans, you know, oh, I'm in another country. Oh, yeah, we're best buddies. Let's get the camera going, you know, take the picture. And we're swapping names, and you go back, and you go back to living your life. And here, this was like a really important thing to them. It was really critical to them, and they were upset that there had been no communication. Huh. So we had to do a little PR. I mean, we had to try to smooth out that situation which basically the ones that we knew about, we tried to communicate to them like this person got married. You know, he's just recently had a child, you know, and he's, he's been busy. They could relate to that and understand that. But I just realized that you just can't do that. You can't flippantly go someplace and maybe make a few promises and then forget about it after you're gone. Yeah, you have to return in some way. <laughs> Yeah, in some way. It doesn't have to be you, but, uh, you know, send a message and just do something. I mean, how hard is it to, to send a, a message, really? I mean, Oh, you, you got phones now, so. Right, right. And you could even email, send an email theoretically to the organization and say, could you pass this on to this village? But but really, just a, a letter is something they, could, they would hold in their hand. If it had just been one letter, it would have made the difference. It would have made the difference for hmm. sure. So. They're going to, you know, we're going to see what's going to happen with that. Again, we don't want to be like Santa Claus where, oh, we're going to just make your your water situation better. We're going to build a church for you. You know, no, no. This is, um, we're even considering the village that's more healthy, you know, Jamon, to maybe sponsor a village itself. Huh. They might be passing on what they've been given. Yeah, that but makes a lot of sense. I like, yeah, I mean, that's a good model. That sounds it's like grassroots or church planning, as they call it nowadays. Yeah, but I don't know how well that's going to fit with their culture. But it's, I think it's an interesting concept to, uh, to at least approach. And I'm not involved in any of the decision-making on that, but 
we were going just on sort of a, a, a scouting mission. Literally, I felt like I was a mission. I really felt like at that time I was involved with something that's very important, that <laughs> it was concerning the future of how this village was going to be looking at the church and looking at Jesus, for sure. So, here's my random segue. What does any of this have to do with video games? <laughs> well, what does it have to do with video games 45 minutes later? <laughs> but you can't play a lot of games in those situations. Although I, I did visit a, a missionary family that I support, and they had a, a young boy. And we were talking about games, and he, he pulled out his, uh, his Wii collection. That kid has a better video game collection than I have, and what? he's in Senegal. What's going on? I mean, he had all the classic, uh, the, some of the best games that were made for the Wii. From Most of them, of course, are Nintendo first-party games. But I was thinking, yeah, hey, kid, maybe I'll help you out. Maybe I'll send you a game or two, you know? And then I'm looking at his collection, I'm like, man, you need to be sending me some games. <laughs> Um, they also had a teenager there who's like a 10th grader, and he has a 360, and he likes uh, to play first-person shooters and stuff like that. So the, uh, the Video the games are everywhere. <laughs> yeah, the children of missionaries especially, they, they definitely, video games help them stay like in touch with American Western culture. That was neat to see, and it was fun talking about that. That was toward the end of the trip, so I was starting to get kind of psyched about you know getting back to to the real world and playing some games. The real world. Because <laughs> video games, hate to tell you, Zach, are not the real world. No. Who They're not real. That? Yeah, well, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> so, but what do I take from it, uh, from experience, uh, a mission trip, and how I relate to video games is definitely, we've talked before about exploration and things like that. There's certainly an element of being on a mission trip that's it's filled with exploration. You're going to a new place where you've never been before. You're learning skills that you've never learned before. And I think games do that. Uh, again, I'm playing Rise, Son of Rome. I'm almost done with it. But for a little while, when I play that game, I'm a Roman soldier, you know, being very vicious in how I kill people and cut off arms and slit throats and all that stuff. But it's an adventure. I'm in a, in a place that I've never been before. And certainly going to a, a country on the other side of the world is an adventure as well. But I just want to say I didn't cut anybody's arms off when I was in Senegal. Yeah, that's a good thing, I think. Yeah, I kept all the weapons to myself. Yeah, and you kept all your limbs, which is much appreciated. They are. <laughs> I appreciate that. I almost lost my stomach. but uh, So exploration is certainly a part of it. There, there's an element of going on a mission trip where you're not really relying on your own skill because huh. you don't have a skill for that particular situation. So I think mission trips are good for relying on, on faith because you're going out on the limb. Even if you're with somebody that's done it before, you're still experiencing something for the first time. And again, it doesn't have to be another culture. It doesn't have to be another side of the world. But I do encourage people who are following Christ to step out of the box, step out of your comfort zone and try doing something where you're like, God, you're going to have to help me through this because I don't have the the, uh, the skills necessarily in my knowledge to, to do that and, and see what God can do. Yeah, so it's an aspect of faith that you just kind of step out on a limb and then have things happen. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I was with people who have done it before, so it wasn't like I was going to an unreached area of the world and uh, things like that. Yeah. <laughs> but it's still, 
you, when you go on one of these trips, you think about what you're going to do to help other people or what you can, what you can do. And you don't realize how much you're bringing back that has changed you, what those people have done for you. When I see a culture that values family so much that they can every night of the week sit around uh, with a guitar and sing songs and just beat on upside down buckets for rhythm. And they're so happy. They just, they're happy being together. They don't need anything other than, than family and song and dance. That's kind of impressive. Yeah. <laughs> Since family is something we don't seem to respect as much as we used to, or at I least, and you, yeah. So you go into a compound and it's, they're sort of like, you know, the old person, oldest person that might be, retired and and their retirement is they get to sit on a mat all day (laughs) (laughs) they don't have to do any of the work anymore they already done it they already birthed their children or or did all the crops or whatever in their long lifetime and some of them seem to be pretty aged um but they value family and they respect people that have a lot of uh, gray or silver in their hair so The more I keep going back, the more respect I'll get as I get older, I guess. Yeah. Or you could dye your hair, too. (laughs) Yeah. That's a great idea. Ted. That's a super idea. Ted and the silver mane. (laughs) It's getting silver on its own. So those are some of the take-backs that I have. But uh, I love coming back to the country. I love the United States. I really love living here. Little things like a Diet Coke with lots of ice in the glass is a simple pleasure. <laughs> Starbucks is a simple pleasure. I can imagine. And just a, a nice, comfortable room in a hotel is a, is a simple pleasure. I mean, you know, I was living in the wild with pretty much with an outhouse for many of the days. But during one of the times, we stopped in a hotel for the night. And, I mean, the, the bed... It was more like a hammock. It seemed like I lay down in it and it just kind of went down in the middle, but it felt pretty comfortable. And uh, I don't know where they got the sheets, but one of the beds in our room had Barbie sheets for some reason. <laughs> and so we had to share a bathroom with uh, everybody on our floor. And I go in there and there's a toilet, which I hadn't seen a toilet in days, but it didn't have a, a seat. You know, it just had, it was just a bowl, basically, with water. But I've never been so happy to, to sit on that. <laughs> if you've ever sat on a toilet with a seat up, that's what it was like. But it it was, uh, you know, I was like, wow, this is great. And then there was a shower, and the shower was basically this indentation area with a, a drain. And it was like a kitchen sink spray nozzle thing that was attached to the toilet, to the same water that filled the toilet tank. <laughs> that so for your shower you just sort of sprayed some of this water and it never felt so good in all my life but uh makes you appreciate this wonderful country to come home and take a, a nice hot shower and to, to have really truly just good food that i'm familiar with and and of course seeing my wife and family and and the dogs too it makes you appreciate family when you go away for a while i don't think i have anything to add <laughs> Not all it takes. If I'm going to beat Rise this week, next time you talk, I will have beat this game right here, Rise. Son of Rome. It's not the best game in the world, but it is a game. 
<laughs> it is a thing to play on your five hundred dollar multimedia system. Finally, it's working and it hasn't frozen up yet. <laughs> and also, oh, I know, I was going to ask you is uh, tell me a little bit about Dark Souls Two if you've got uh, a couple oh, minutes. I'll tell you about two things. I got a smartphone okay. and I was fascinated for for approximately two days. <laughs> And I installed a bunch of NES, SNES, and otherwise games on it. That's about all I did with it. Emulator type stuff or just actual game? Oh, uh, yeah, emulators. And Not to emulate it. Yeah, and Angry Birds. A lot of Angry Birds. But I don't... Angry Birds is fun. So what did you have before a smartphone? I had a um, dumb phone. A flip phone kind of a deal? Yeah, like a AT&T, just like a black flip phone. Nothing special. Now I have a smartphone and... Guess it's a useful tool, but I'm not really obsessed with it like a lot of people could be. Is it a droid? Yes, it is a Moto G. Okay. Yeah, so it's just a phone. <laughs> it's nothing special. It's just it. a phone, but they can be useful. Uh, I, an app that I use and my wife uses is called uh, Evernote, and it's one that incorporates kind of with computers and our phone thing, but we, we scan a lot of our records that are or important things into Evernote, and it's a common place where... We both can go to look for stuff. Like when I did my taxes, I actually scanned all my paper paperwork from taxes and then tossed it because it's in Evernote. All my uh, tax records are there for me to. to oh it. wow, that's cool. And if I ever needed to, or like I bought baseball tickets and I needed to get a copy of it to my father-in-law. Yes. Put it on Evernote, share it, and he was able to get it. So, so many useful apps. Oh my goodness. Yeah, that was a useful app. Uh, geocaching is a fun thing to do with your phone. That's where. Uh, do it. Download a geocache uh, application, and that's one where somebody has hidden something somewhere in probably your area. It'll tell you where the nearest geocache is, and you're basically using your phone. It's like with uh, as a compass to get it gets you closer and closer to where the geocache is, <laughs> and you can so find bizarre. it. And you put on thing. Oh, it's it's a lot of it's a fun thing to combine a little bit of technology and actually getting outside a little bit. Huh. Wow. So bizarre. You see that at parks and stuff. But yeah, I found that that's a fun thing for a, for a smartphone to do. Yeah, I just thought it could play games. <laughs> <laughs> banking stuff, too. You can get kind of used to uh, banking with your smartphone. Uh, if someone sends you a check, you know, you take a picture of it with your check nowadays to deposit it. It's a lot easier than taking it to the bank. <laughs> yeah. I just found it like a, a phone, an interesting phone that kind of just integrates all the things I was doing already into a single little device. There was a day when that was my dream device because you would have, you did have maybe a cell phone and you had a PDA to organize your your life. You or know, a your Palm contacts, Pilot if you're or a Palm Pilot, yeah. Uh, it's for the scheduling part, but you didn't have it integrated with your phone, and now those two devices are essentially one. And also nowadays, uh, you know, a computer. I mean, some people, if I only had a smartphone, I could definitely get most things done. Huh, yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to do a blog entry on it because that would take forever. <laughs> I'm but, just going to uh, play Final Fantasy on my phone, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I bet. Um, is it cheap? Uh, the problem with the, what do you call it, the new ones you can buy is that, like, they uh, check for internet access. Anytime uh, you boot the game up, and if you don't have it, it shuts the game down. Oh, that stinks. And you pay like $8 for the original oh, I Final thought, Fantasy? I saw that in the pricing. I thought it was too high. For, the price for range is way up there. So, yeah. you know what? I already own the games four or five times, so I don't care. I'm just going to play right. the emulators. Yeah, I understand that. They're, they're make, they 
must be selling them for that. That's all I can say is people who are such huge fans. But they are they are a fun device, but they, they definitely can do a lot when you combine the GPS element as well. Two, point, two points about Dark Souls. Three, two, one. The new Dark Souls is okay. <laughs> is it harder or easier? Um, it's harder in ways that arise from poor design rather than actual difficulty, if that makes sense. So they are cheating? God, bless America! <laughs> what is that? I don't, I don't know how to mute stuff on this I don't know how to mute an Xbox One. Son of a peanut butter sandwich. God, God bless America. <laughs> Did I say that? Yes. <laughs> I'm not much. I'm not a very good cusser. <laughs> no, it was perfect. <laughs> I was like, "What?" Uh, okay, I'm crying now. <laughs> All right, can we just try one more time? Okay, something about Dark Souls. Um, Talk about Dark Souls, Okay, <laughs> So, like, okay. So Demon Souls and Dark Souls, you can kind of tell that they designed the obstacles in a way that made sense, and they could challenge you, and there's, like, space between save points. Whereas in Dark Souls 2, they're just kind of like, uh, we'll just put a save point every 15 minutes. And then instead of, like making it so that the player has to like figure out this set of obstacles. They're just like, oh, okay, we'll just throw in these enemies that poison you. Or, okay, we're just going to, you know, we'll have these enemies that explode and kill you. Or something like that, you know. Almost more traditional game design in that sense, it sounds like. If if there was anything I could compare it to, it's what people usually call, quote-unquote, NES hard. Uh-huh. Which is not like the kind of slow progression of difficult obstacles that you usually get in a souls game it's more like oh, we killed you or whatever <laughs> yeah and that's supposed to be difficult i guess i'm just there's one section of the game it's called black gulch and the entire thing is just a series of turrets that shoot poison at you a series of what they're like little turrets it's like oh, playing tarts. yeah turrets turrets oh turrets yeah like yeah. <laughs> My I was thinking, like, were they peach tarts and strawberry tarts? No, and... <laughs> no. no, they're like little turrets that okay. shoot poison globs at you. If you get hit by two of them, you become poisoned instantly, and your health bar drains at, like, an enormous rate. And this is not an enemy you can kill. It's just a turret shooting at you. If you walk slowly through this place and kill every single one of them, then you can go by safely. But... If you do what most people do, which is basically just sprint, you'll reach the end of that section immediately in like 30 seconds. It's the dumbest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> it's like there's just all sorts of stuff like that. Like, oh, exploding enemy on bridge. This is fun. And if it explodes, it launches you off the bridge to your death. <laughs> oh, man. Whereas in like Dark Souls, in Demon Souls, that stuff just does not happen. Here, it just wants to kill you in ways that are not fair. <laughs> or, like, you'll open a door, right? And, you know, every other door in the game is just a door, a normal door. You go to the next area, right? But this door, an enemy jumps through it and takes out half your life bar. So that's fun. <laughs> not that you could have ever predicted it. 
you know, but there's it, a little bit of that in Dark Souls one, right? And uh, Demon Souls, uh, a little bit. Enemy on the other side of a door, uh, a little bit, but they can't really like break the door. Uh, so where you can open it and like there'll be an enemy there, it will like give you time to at least react. Here it's just like oh cheap shot, ha ha ha, you know. <laughs> it's kind of like the game's pointing and laughing at you most of the time. It really sounds like a lot of cheap shots. Yeah. Compared to where Dark Souls, I felt like everything was fair and I was dying for reasons that made sense. Yeah. Oh, and the best one is sometimes the enemy hitboxes are really weird. Like, okay, so I play like heavy armor characters, I think, as I've said a lot. Or tanker. Yeah. So I I got heavy armor on and a big shield, so I can block like everything. But in this game, there's like an enemy called the Elite Giant, and he like swings clubs around. But the problem with it is when I block him, his the hitbox on his attack is so large it hits me from behind so i can't block it it doesn't make any sense ha, so he's facing you and he's somehow hitting you from behind yeah so he'll like swing right and suddenly right. i get hit and fly back it <laughs> ser- so it's kind of it's clipping stuff. through you and and getting to a vulnerable vulnerable part on the back of you I yeah think. but uh, it doesn't look like that that's why it's confusing <laughs> What you see on the screen doesn't even get reflected in what you're doing, right? Yeah. I was noticing watching your YouTube video where you were facing the Taurus demon, how much clipping there is for that big uh, monster. You're along that uh, battlement, I guess. Yeah. How he just, it almost seems like that's not fair that he can swing through it to kill you. Oh, yeah. How is that acceptable? That is okay because at least the when he swings the axe, you have to basically figure out what the range is. So like right. you're kind of observing it, and you know most of the time I'm just testing how far I can go or what exactly the roll timing is. Right. That was kind of my strategy to figure it out because I never really did the roll thing before with him. That's usually, what made a difference. Yeah, I usually just go up the battlement and then I jump on top of his head and do the dive attack like two or three times, and he dies. So. That's really easy, but if you want to do it the traditional way, you have to figure out his range. In in that game, mostly most of the time, the range of the attack is exactly the range of the axe. So like right. I could figure it out with enough attempts when I'm right. supposed to roll or how far back I have to be before right. he's going to attack me. But and every once in a while, he would do like a jump forward, you know, part to make the axe go to extend yeah. that thing, and that's where it would get you as a surprise. You're like, oh, yeah. I wasn't quite far back enough. <laughs> whereas in dark souls 2 for whatever reason it's just not that way some enemies will just rip right through you for no reason whatsoever it's and and the other thing is that you really can't circle behind enemies very much in dark souls 2 their attacks basically track you so instead of just like you know you you know how you saw me rotate behind an enemy to do the backstab yeah yeah well in this game the enemy will rotate and follow you with its attack like it's the weirdest thing Huh. And, and it happens for bosses too. Their attacks like track you until the very last moment where you can dodge or block it. <laughs> so they've made a real change from the programming from the ground up. Yeah, but I don't think everything transitioned all that well. Sounds like it. So, so whereas I like the game and I, I think it's worth a play, I don't think it's worth a full price for somebody who isn't invested in the Souls series in general. Right. There's just a lot of weird design decisions that don't quite sit well with me. And I would recommend either of the other two, then I would recommend this new one. So it's number three in your ranking. Which would be number one and number two out of the, the three games? 
Ugh, Demon Souls and Dark Souls are pretty much even in my book. They're different design decisions, but they're basically the same difficulty and experience. Whereas Dark Souls Two is a pretty distant third. Wow. Yeah, it sounds like it though. Yeah. But I won't be in a hurry. I, I don't want to play it until I beat the first two. So I'm, <laughs> it's going to be like six years. Also, if I can recommend to you anything, I would say. If you have a PC to play it, play it on PC because the console ports are not so good. No, well, but, that's that's my only shot. Is yeah, console. but I'm going to guess that they they may re-release it for the more modern consoles, mm-hmm. just by virtue of the fact that it's not that great on the other ones. So you may see a next gen port. I'm you know fingers crossed. Like a definite edition or whatever they call yeah. it, definitive edition. Because the PC version runs at 60 frames per second. Full speed, no slowdown whatsoever. Right. Whereas the console version, it's like 30 to 45 second load times between areas and some other horrible, horrible slowdown and screen tearing or whatever. So Older gen systems, you're just struggling. Yeah, it, they didn't really design okay. it with those systems in mind. So the PC yeah. port ended up being the best one. Well, we'll see. But I would consider doing that just to see how it would look on, on my Xbox One. Yeah, I would hope they re-release it. I think it would be interesting to see it. It'd be great if they had like a disc that had all three. Yeah, maybe they will. Maybe they That will. would be great. Well, you would kind of have to have a PS4 to do that, I think. Mostly because Demon's Souls the, is owned by Sony. Yeah. That, that's not going to ever be on my Xbox One. No. So. <laughs> Dark Souls 1 and 2, uh, compilation disc, definitive edition. Let's yeah. see if that happens. I would do that. That would be literally hours, days of gameplay. I mean... <laughs> Yeah, and especially if you plan on playing it again, like me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you do. You do. You play it with a different uh, build, basically. Yeah, they so much detail in this game. Playing it once is kind of selling it a bit short. Right. Well, they did it right. Well, my friend, I think thank that's you for telling me a little our, bit about that. Yeah, I think that's good for a podcast. <laughs> Some disconnected <laughs> thoughts about things. And the dog barking was excellent. That was a real highlight. Yeah. If you don't hear it in the podcast, don't worry about it. It wasn't that entertaining anyway. <laughs> what did I say? Good morning, America? I God forget bless what I... America. <laughs> I said, God, bless America. <laughs> well, I'm glad I didn't cuss. All right. All right, All right well, bro. Well, this has been the Theology Gaming Podcast. If you like what you heard, go on iTunes and give us a five-star rating. We need it. If you have any questions, send us questions at questions at theologygaming.com or on Theology Gaming University, which is a Facebook group. Please join us. We're an open group. We like talking to people. So, And I think that's it. So All right. there you go. Depart, Ted Loring, with your Xbox One. I shall one. leave thee. We will not use Xbox One ever again, but it was fun to try. Well, I lasted. All right, say goodbye. All right, bye. Bye.